Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. People still don't understand who Jesus is, or they come to accept him or to understand him at far less than what he truly is. You can go outside right now, outside of these walls. You can go out into our city. You can go out to those that are the passerbyers on the street. You can go to those that are at grocery stores or at restaurants or pumping gas at any convenience store. And you can ask young people. You can ask individuals with decades of life behind them. You can ask them that very simple question. Who do you believe Jesus Christ is? For some, he's no more than a cuss word. You understand that, don't you? Who do you say Jesus is? Jesus said that he was God. Christ also said that it was only through him that we could be reconciled to the Father. Therefore, those souls that deny Jesus' deity or ignore him entirely are in terrible peril. In today's message from the Gospel of Luke, Pastor David teaches us that we are either for Jesus or against him. We can either believe that Jesus is who he said he is, or we can reject him as a phony and a liar. There are only these two choices. There is zero room for middle ground. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, Who is Jesus? Whenever man rejects God, and the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. He opens himself or herself up to the very worst of evils. For you see, outside of Christ, there's no middle ground. There is no middle ground. God the Father would not allow it. Jesus did not provide for it. And when an individual rejects the truth of the gospel, any and every lie of the enemy can and will find a heart and a home within that individual. For some, that, that evil might seem like uh, to you and me it's just kind of a minor thing, that they're only a shade off. But when any man or woman is outside of Christ, the Word of God tells us very, very plainly that they are lost, that they are outside of the truth of God the only truth that there really is. You see, there can be no middle ground. Jesus told his followers, he said, he who is not for me is against me. And too often in, in, in our world today, we find people, we find people even within the church setting, even within the walls of this building, they're, they're half-hearted, they are convenient uh, uh, as, as long as it's good for me, Christians. As long as it's easy, as long as it's, it's, it's not taking me out of my comfort zone. And that kind of a commitment actually speaks of an ignorance that's so prevalent in the world today in reference to who Jesus really is and what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
We're in the Gospel of Luke this morning. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me there. As we, uh, Jesus himself actually draws attention to what it means to follow him, what it means to, to be his disciple. In Luke chapter 9, and we're going to begin in verse 18. Luke 9, 18. And it happened as he, as Jesus, was alone praying, that his disciples joined him, and they asked him, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? And so they answered and said, John the Baptist. But Some said Elijah. And others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, the Christ, the son of the living God. And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one saying that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Well, you can keep your place there in Luke 9. Would you turn with me also to Matthew chapter 16? In Matthew chapter 16, we see the very same event, but from Matthew's viewpoint, and Matthew was there during this time. Matthew brings a little bit extended understanding of the conversation. Matthew chapter 16, and we'll begin in verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And so Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I will say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. It's interesting when you ask individuals who they think Jesus is, who they believe Jesus Christ is. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's actually comical, their responses or their answers, comical at least to the point of being desperately sad because they miss it so far. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, he writes the following in reference to this question of who Jesus is. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus Christ. They'll say, oh, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. And Lewis writes, that's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says that he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell himself. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he was a madman or something else. 
Lewis says you can shut him up for fool. You can spit at him and call him a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with some patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that option open to us, and he did not intend to. But see, the problem still remains today. People still don't understand who Jesus is, or they come to accept him or to understand him at far less than what he truly is. You can go outside right now, outside of these walls. You can go out into our city. You can go out to those that are the passerbyers on the street. You can go to those that are at grocery stores or at restaurants or pumping gas at any convenience store. And you can ask young people. You can ask individuals with decades of life behind them. You can ask them that very simple question. Who do you believe Jesus Christ is? For some, he's no more than a cuss word. You understand that, don't you? And I think it's kind of funny that I have never, ever in my entire life heard anyone out of frustration say, oh, Buddha. (laughs) Never heard that, have you? Not at all. I've never heard anyone in all my days working in construction, someone say, Mohammed, man, be careful but yet I've heard them use my Lord's name in ways. For some, Jesus is just simply, he's, he's a holy man. He's an enlightened individual. Maybe he is a prophet of God. Some even might declare, well, he is the force of good within our world. Seems that ever since the time of his life here on earth, man has danced around who Jesus really is. Even that night when Nicodemus came, he came to speak to Jesus and he thought that he was honoring him as he came to Jesus and says, oh, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Well, that's a pretty great honor. I mean, you know, if anybody says that to me, I'd be honored by that. But, but the problem is, is Nicodemus, he hit way too low for who Jesus really is. In trying to honor him, he missed it totally, the point of who Jesus actually is. And when Jesus asked his disciples the question, Matthew shared with us, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? The response that the disciples gave as far as what the crowds, what the people said, it's not much different than what we hear today. They used names that they were familiar with at that time. They said, well, some think that you're John the Baptist. Some think that you're that that fiery prophet uh, who just got his head taken off by Herod. Others thought that maybe he was Elijah, that uh, remember Elijah, after all, he was, he was literally raptured off the earth through a whirlwind, so maybe it was Elijah come back again. Matthew tells us that some thought he might even be Jeremiah, and you know, Jeremiah, he was the one that had this great compassion for the people and for the nation of Israel, and others just thought, well, maybe he's just one of the, one of the prophets that have come back again. I guess they believed in reincarnation or whatever it was. You, you, you wonder where, where that kind of a mindset comes. Because when man tries to fill in the blanks, so often we come up with the stupidest of answers. The most foolish of answers. The people venture to guess as to who Jesus was and they were wrong. 
And when you miss who Jesus is, there's no close enough answer. You understand that, don't you? You understand he does not grade on a curve. Well, that's about 60% right. That's a, a D, but I guess you still passed the class. No, this is a pass-fail thing. You either get it right or for eternity you have it wrong. And it's that plain. It's that straightforward. It is that simple. Jesus asked his disciples then, he says, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter responded, and we love Peter because he's the guy that will step right out in front. And Peter's the kind of guy you want to have in front of you. He can, he can step out in front, and if he's wrong, he gets the blast, right? Yeah. So, so Peter steps up, and he says, you are the Christ of God in Luke's version. And Matthew, he comes a little bit fuller with, with the answer. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That word Christ is actually a, a transliteration of a Greek word, Christos. It means the anointed one. In Hebrew, the, the word that we speak of, uh, Messiah, it's a Hebrew word, Mashiach. It's transliteration also, Messiah. It means the same thing, the anointed one. This is the messianic title that the Jews understood of, again, the promised one that would come from God to declare that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ of God or the Messiah of God, is to declare that he was the true deliverer for all of Israel. And to make that statement is to agree that this one who stood before them was the fulfillment of all the messianic prophecies. There's no doubt when we see this and when we understand, when we've looked through the Gospels thus far and yet to go in the study of the Gospel of Luke, there's no doubt that the disciples had seen Jesus, uh, his power, his, his presence was much more than just an ordinary rabbi, much more. There was a power, there was authority that, that filled his very presence, that filled the person of Jesus that couldn't be explained other than the fact that he was the Christ of God. And however, the thing that we also understand is that the disciples were not much different than other people. They even, even though they had such close contact with Jesus, such, such, they'd been there with so many things that he had done, so many times that he had touched, he had healed, he had delivered, raised people from the dead, and yet they still did not quite get it completely. They still didn't quite fire on all eight cylinders at that point in time. Like so many of the others, they were still looking for a, a reigning and ruling Messiah. They, they wanted somebody to come in and, and break the, the bondage of Rome from, from the Jews and that the Jews could rise up again and become that great, mighty, powerful nation that all of them remembered the times of King David. The times of Solomon, where there was peace and Israel was such a big and a powerful nation at that point. And for Peter to declare what he declared, you understand he had to reach a lot deeper than just his present understanding. He had to reach a lot deeper than just his limited logic and mental capability. Even with all of the miracles, even with the teachings of the kingdom of God, even with the compassion for the people, Peter had to know within his logic or be questioning within his logic, well, what about that reigning, ruling part? I see all this compassion. I see all this serving of the people, but where is that reigning and ruling part? 
what about that part where the Messiah actually comes, he breaks off all the oppression, he brings in that peace throughout all of the land. You see, for Peter, it, it wasn't just human logic that brought that answer to him. And Jesus understood that, and in Matthew, Jesus responds to Peter in a very powerful way. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. <laughs> in essence, what Jesus was telling, people, or telling Peter was simply, hey, good job, Simon, son of Jonah. But you need to understand, it was not your human logic that revealed that to you. This revelation comes from my Father, which is in heaven. This is true spiritual understanding and insight. It's not something that you can gain from human wisdom. And you know what that means for you and I? For you and I, as we sit here today, it means that no man can truly understand and come to a full realization of who Jesus Christ is unless the Father reveals him to them. And it's only when the Father reveals that we come to that understanding. All the wisdom of the apologist, uh, and, and, and a Christian apologist, he's not making apologies for Christianity. You understand that. He is, he is, he is a debater about, again, the, the scope and the reality and the truth of Christianity. All, all, all the wisdom and all the debates of the apologist or the debater, uh, they can never win a man to Christ. The wisdom of man does not win man to Christ. As important as those things are, and I'm glad that we have Christian apologists that can speak the reality and the truth of who we are as believers, what the Word of God declares, and who Christ is. I'm glad that we have those individuals that do that. But the important thing is, that's not what's going to win a man to Christ. Salvation is a work of the Spirit and not of the intellect. Now, that doesn't mean we check our brains as we come in the door. Please understand that. But all the intellect of man does not change a man's heart. That's one of the great faulties we have in our culture right now. We keep looking at the, the evil and the sinfulness, and we say, well, we just need to educate them better. We just need to give them more understanding, give them more teaching and, and training. And then all we have then is just more intelligent sinners. It does not change the heart of man. Education doesn't change the heart of man. As good as it is, and I'm pro-education, but that's not what changes the heart of man. What changes the heart of man is the work and move of the Holy Spirit of God within that individual's life. You can argue with that all you want, but the full fact of the matter is Jesus declared that very same thing in John chapter 6. He says that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. It's a work of God the Father through God the Holy Spirit to draw us to God the Son. Coming to a true saving knowledge of Christ is much, much more than just a mental consent to that truth of who he is. It's much more than just a, a comprehension of the facts. Beloved, it's a supernatural revelation that has to take place within our lives from the Holy Spirit. It's an awakening of our hearts to recognize not only the greatness of our need for a Savior, but also the fullness of the provision that's ours through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We put a lot of emphasis on the teaching of the Word of God here at Calvary. 
we do that because we feel as that it's through the teaching and the preaching of God's word that the saints of God are equipped. But it's also, it is the way that God, by way of the Holy Spirit, uses literally the foolishness of preaching to reveal Christ. The Apostle Paul brings this to us pretty clearly. Uh, you can leave Matthew, go to your right to 1 Corinthians, if you would. 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, right at the beginning there, Paul helps us to understand these things about the foolishness of preaching. Beginning down in verse 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul himself says that the preaching of the cross is foolishness. It's foolishness to those that are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I, I will destroy, what? The wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise, he asked. Where is the scribe? Where is the debater or the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Good job, Peter. You came up with the right answer. But it's not your human logic that did it, Peter. It was the power of God working within you. It's God who reveals and draws men to himself. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians he says in verse 25, he speaks of that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. So if, if you can even comprehend, and, and I don't believe that there is any such thing as the foolishness of God or the weakness of God because he's perfect in every way. But if, if, if there even was, the greatest thing of man can't even begin to touch, can't even begin to even, even glimpse any side of God in their own man in his own wisdom. He says, you see your calling, brethren. Not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, in order that no flesh would glory in his presence. Look around the room this morning. Take a moment, look around the room, if you would. Just look at those that are seated here, and you'll notice that, again, uh, uh, there's not many wise, according to the flesh. There's not many mighty, and there's not many noble. But God has chosen, yeah, the foolish things of the world, the weak things of the world, to put shame the things that are mighty the base things of the world, the things which are despised, God has chosen, the things which are not in order to bring to nothing the things that are, in order that no flesh could glory in his presence. I, I cannot come to you. None of you could come today. There's no one that could come and say, out of my intellect, out of my studying, out of uh, understanding the fullness of all the original languages, because I read the Bible you know, 28,000 times in my life, I have come to an understanding that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, you could come to that point. But it's not through all of that study and through all of that intellect that it changes from the head down to the heart. Open. 
hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced, and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God richly bless you.